0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Spot Injury Insurance, and this is something that unless you have magical powers and are 100% certain that you will not slice your finger while, say, attempting to cook buttered noodles, and you won't crash even once while skiing or riding this winter, and you don't have a managing editor or a crazy friend encouraging you to do dumb things all the time, hashtag crashmore, then you ought to get yourself some spot injury insurance. Spot provides injury insurance that is actually affordable. It starts at $25 a month and covers you up to $20,000 each time you're injured. Again, hashtag crash more. And your spot plan works whether you have health insurance or not. And it is a monthly subscription that works with any existing insurance plans you might have. And it works 24-7 worldwide. So head over to blister.getspot.com and get yourself some spot injury insurance. That's blister.getspot.com. Okay, today we are back with another round of Ski Quiver Conversations, and we are talking first with one of my favorite people in the world to ski with and ride bikes with, Sasha Anastas. And from there, we talk to everybody's favorite doctor slash heli guide, Paul Forward. And just one thing I want to point out here, Sasha and I talk about the Liberty Genesis 96 and that Genesis 96 also goes by the name of the Origin 96. So if you are looking up our reviews of those, you can search for the Origin 96 or Genesis 96 and also I want to say I was skiing yesterday with Luke Kappa and telling him about my conversation with Sasha and Luke wanted me to point out to all of you that he actually prefers the current version of the origin slash Genesis 96. So keep that in mind. Luke doesn't agree with Sasha and me. So there you go. Now also speaking of Luke, I only saw some of your very good ski quiver questions that you submitted after I spoke to Sasha and Paul. And so at some point soon, Luke and I will do a bit of a part three ski quiver episode where he and I will discuss our own selections of three ski, two ski, and one ski quivers and answer a few more of your very good questions. So thanks to all of you for submitting those this week. Just before we get going here, I also want to give a shout out to another of our blister recommended shops, Gear West. Gear West is located on Long Lake, just outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and this is a very unique shop since we aren't familiar with too many other shops that are actually located on their own campus that spans three buildings and has its own green space. Gear West also has multiple MasterFit certified boot fitters, one of the largest selections of skis in the Midwest, including brands like DPS, Armada, and Faction. It is a premier race tuning facility, and Gear West has a huge selection of snowboard, Nordic running, and biking gear. But you should not just take my word for it. One of our Blister members, Gregory recently visited Gear West after seeing it listed as a blister-recommended shop, and then Gregory sent us an email with a rather glowing review of the store and one of the Gear West boot fitters, Mark Osell. Gregory wrote, quote, I could not have found a better boot fitter anywhere. Mark is a great guy with so much experience. He is a very careful listener and an attention-to-detail practitioner. End quote. But Gregory didn't stop there. He also added that Gear West is a phenomenal store and will get all of his future business, including his bike business. And I love this. Gregory was, quote, flabbergasted that this level of expertise exists in one of the flattest parts of the country, end quote. So thank you to Gregory for sharing that with us. And kudos to Gear West for being so good that you are out there literally flabbergasting people. So if you happen to be in the Minneapolis area, be sure to stop in and see for yourself. And if you can't stop by in person, then just be sure to check out their website. That's gearwest.com as it is chock full of Alpine cross country running and biking gear. So that's gearwest.com. And now let's talk about some ski quivers with Sasha, and Paul. Here we go. Sasha Anastas, it's you talking to me again.
1: It is. It is. It's 10, what, 1030? This is our hour of power. This is when we do our finest work. I mean,
0: I'm not sure that's true. The irony is, so we're going to run our conversation first, and then Paul Forward is coming on. I actually recorded Paul a couple days ago, actually Saturday night, also at 10.30 p.m. So I don't know what's happening here, but this is apparently when we... Have podcast conversations.
1: Well, I uh, worked night shifts for so many years that this is when I actually my brain is the most highly functional, and now that I have a three year old it's when there's actually a hope and a prayer for me to start something and get to completion. so um, this is this is my my time.
0: And also, I can attest you're pretty worthless in the morning.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I don't function until about eleven thirty in the mornings. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, we are here to talk about ski quivers. I think we're going to go ahead and start with you at the three ski quiver level, and then we're going to work down two and one. So what do you got?
1: Yeah. So the quivers this year were um, actually a little bit more fun and different than they had been in the past years, um, only because I was really thinking about, okay, what's my COVID quiver set up? Like, what is, what do I want this year, knowing that there or hoping that there's a good chance. I'll get into the backcountry a little bit more than I have in years past, especially with all the unknowns, with how resorts are running the um, passes, whether or not you need reservations. I am definitely not a plan ahead type of person. So reservations to ski are definitely.
0: (laughs) That's the truest. That's the truest (laughs) statement that has ever been uttered on a Gear 30 podcast.
1: I mean, I think I wrote these these words perbatim in the Quiver write-up section, um, and I knew you were going to be laughing at them, Jonathan, so I kind of did it just for you. But nonetheless, yeah, I mean, I've never been able to plan ahead for <laughs> for skiing. Like, no. <laughs> Any, for anything I mean, ever. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't, I just, I, you know, calling or like going online and getting a reservation at like an epic resort or something something of that sort was hard for me to wrap my head around, I'm hoping to get more in the backcountry and then just pay up front the pass fee this year for when I do get to get out to Crested Butte or Breckenridge or or any of the mountains around me. So this year's Quiver was a little bit more backcountry focused. And I have always in the past wanted a backcountry setup on a wide ski. I was rethinking that this year and I was like, well, you know, what would be a great ski a little bit more narrow, but something that can handle the weird Colorado snowpack that we have in the backcountry. Something that would be really fun on a hot trip, per se, a couple miles in or something that would be great in the spring, you know, if I get the opportunity to to ski any of these 14ers that surround me. And the ski that has remained on my list, not counting the line Pandora more on that later, but the Liberty Genesis 90 and 96 um, have have shown up on my ski on my quivers in one way, shape or form consistently for the past three or four years. So I was um, I think the 90 would be too thin or, or too narrow, I should say. So I'm thinking the 96, Would be kind of my first ski, and that would be more my backcountry, my lightweight backcountry, but also a ski I could take to the resort um, when we haven't had a lot of snow and that that can carve decently. So then I'm thinking, okay, now what binding do I want on this ski? Something lightweight or something more versatile, like, you know, uh, Solomon Shift? I'm not quite sure. This is where I'm a little bit torn on that aspect.
0: I think it's one of the interesting things about that ski, though, is it's a very legitimate conversation. You can put a shift on the Liberty Genesis 96, and that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure there's, there's a number of skis. It's not like it's like a unicorn ski in that sense. But it is a ski that I think you could actually roll with something heavier like a shift. But it's not weird if you were to put a lighter weight tech binding on that ski either. So I'm, I actually agree with you on this.
1: Yeah. So I think if for the three quiver ski option, cause I have a little bit more options, I have more, more space. I would put a lighter binding binding on it. Um, I know, um, Dina fit has a women's specific binding and I think I answered that in my write up. and I, my, my rhetorical question is, well, okay, how does this Women-specific lightweight tech binding differ from any of the other bindings. How do you make a women-specific binding? I don't. I don't know. <laughs>
0: if you get a good marketing person,
1: I guess. Right? The dins seem um, pretty consistent. Uh, you know, I think they go up to a twelve, which is you know pretty standard operating procedure for it. For you know, uh, binding in the intermediate
0: or advanced for or a advanced, I mean, There's yeah, a lot of yeah. good skiers who yeah.
1: are
0: bindings are maxed out on a twelve din.
1: And then, um, so I committed to the lighter weight binding setup on the 96, on the Genesis 96 for kind of my 50-50, mostly backcountry, but hey, I can ski this, um, you know, if I if I wanted to in the on the resort. And then I had a change this year, and I, I had to think long and hard about it. For my all-mountain resort charger, I have been a tried-and-true Line Pandora 104 fan, for years. I really can't quit the ski, but this year, especially after chasing Luke around Crested Butte last, uh, winter, um, and I think we had pretty good snow conditions. Um, I really, I, I really fell in love with the Nordica Santa Ana 104 free, and it is just ever so slightly damper than the Pandora 104 um, and therefore was a little bit more stable. And, and I guess I shouldn't say stable. It could just charge a tiny bit harder, a tiny bit less playful. Now, I was skiing this on a 172 centimeter length. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs>
0: and and we should make sure for if people aren't aware, you are a garden gnome. So it's a pretty long, pretty long ski for you.
1: I mean, I'm 5'1". Whether or not I... F- you know, fall into gnome status, maybe, maybe not. But yeah, this is a long ski. This is a super long ski. And in the softer snow, I didn't have a problem with that longer ski. Kara's been trying to get me on longer skis for a while, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think she just wants to share more skis and uh, it's hard to share skis with somebody who's one. So so I, I think I would opt, uh, I think the ski comes in a 165 and I would like to get on that Length this year to see how that does. I felt a little overwhelmed yesterday when I was skiing the the set up um, crud on Monarch, and and this this snow is mm. you know some of the poorer snow we've skied in just because it's beginning of the the season and it's been warm and then set up, so it was pretty hard to get that ski off the ground to do a hop turn at that 172 length. So I think I would opt for a 165. And then my third ski, I, I went back to a wide ski, something that would be good for powder days, heavy days, kind of, but something that I know would be able to do that could ski hard once the, the powder skis off. And I went back to the Line Pandora. This year, they had a Line Pandora 110. And truth be told, I haven't gotten on this ski yet. But this ski, starting in 2014 and I think all the way through 2018 or 19, was a ski that I'm pretty sure every single one of my friends and myself included had. Yep. And we skied this all mountain. We skied this, no like chalky conditions. We skied it powder and And so it was pretty fun to put that back on my list. And then I thought, for sure, I'd put a shift, a Solomon shift binding, something heavier, something more versatile that that would give me more stability on the resort on this ski. So that was my three ski lineup.
0: By the way, I have to say, i'm first of all, I'm really psyched that you have the liberty genesis ninety six in your quiver. I have a confession to make about that ski.
1: Oh, I can't wait.
0: It's a really good ski.
1: It's a great ski.
0: It's a great ski, but here's the thing. And so this is the part that's it's like kind of unfair to Liberty. They slightly tweaked that ski. If you go back and look at past quiver selections from me, I I had the Liberty Genesis 96 often as my 50/50 ski. I just personally liked slightly better the previous iteration and they're so similar but I think it was just I I don't know unfairly was sort of upset that the newer version I liked slightly slightly less than the previous it's made it difficult for me to keep putting that ski in my quiver and for sure you can go read our reviews of this stuff and the rest It's really slight and that's why I feel bad. So I'm glad you still are waving the flag.
1: But it's so interesting you say that. I feel the exact same way. I had that ski, um, I think, I wanna say they changed it the 2019, 2020. So I had this ski, that 2019, 2020 ski to do an A and B in Telluride a few years ago with the, the 2018, 2019 ski. And when I was doing this quiver, it was that 2018, 2019 ski that I had in my mind, and I still have, of course, that I was gonna do this 50-50 backcountry setup. So that's really funny you say that, because that's I'm a hundred percent on the same page hmm. with you there.
0: And again, the thing is like it's such a subtle thing that do I think I would ski the two skis any differently? No. But there is a bit of a different feel. And again, I would trust, like go read what we actually wrote about the difference. It's maybe the new ski is maybe a little more precise, but man, I, I mean, I raved about that previous iteration and that was using it primarily inbounds. So anyway, I, I feel bad. They are close enough. It is not like the new version is a bad ski, but preference wise, I guess it sounds like, See this is one of the reasons why I like skiing with you. Apparently we're on the pay- <laughs> there's a lot we fight about, but when it comes to this kind of thing, we're kind of rolling similarly. So okay, yeah. I, that I, I got that Penny. off my chest. I'm done with my confession.
1: Good good but no altogether both um the 20 the older 2018 2019 version and moving forward to the 2019 2020 and it's unchanged this year per our visits with Liberty at uh, yep. the trade show are is such a great ski and I did I did say that I think this is a really great one quiver ski for those of us who live in Colorado it gets so many bases yeah. covered um I just I think it's a yep. really great it's ski. it's
0: a good one to Put on people's radar for sure. Okay, two ski quiver.
1: So, I think my options for the two ski quiver I think I would probably choose the Line Pandora 104 yet again as my all mountain ski over the Santa Ana 104 free, only in the two quiver because I think I want something a little bit more playful on the resort, and that Santa Ana 104 free is just a tiny bit more damp um, than that that line Pandora. So I think that would be option one, ski one. And then my second ski would be something a bit wider to handle variable weird backcountry or Colorado backcountry snowpack, something that I could ski powder in... Eight plus inches of powder so it could be that pandora line 110 that i had on the three ski quiver but another ski that would be a great option would be the armada trace 108 i skied that one a couple years ago and that was a really fun ski it was very surfy but it could ski Still, it could hold an edge fairly well, so I would feel comfortable taking that into the backcountry, and I I would feel comfortable and confident that it could handle, you know, weird snowpack, having to do jump turns, all that stuff, you know, just a good, reliable ski that you could ski technical terrain on, so.
0: Hey, Sasha, guess what? What? I like that ski, too.
1: Ah, what do you know? (laughs) I don't know where that ski is. I would love to get back on it. I'm I'm hoping it's up at headquarters because it's such a great ski. i wanted to get back on that for all of last year. So I don't know who has it, but we, we've got to get that ski back out. It's a great ski. I love that ski.
0: Interesting. We just got done talking about the Liberty Genesis 96. And I would say that there is a bit of a similarity. Now we're talking about the Armada Trace 108. So obviously two different widths. But what those two skis, I think, share in common is it's hard to imagine the scenarios where you're just like, well, now I'm screwed. I mean, like I I would not want to ski either of those skis on sheer groomed ice. But off of that, both skis work really well and don't leave you feeling like wildly out of place in like any condition, I would say.
1: Yeah, they're very comfortable, aren't they? And they're I mean, honestly, are we, if we are in conditions with sheer ice, I mean, I would ski a couple runs, but most likely I'll be drinking hot toddies.
0: <laughs> As a former racer, I feel real ashamed of you right now. I mean, sheer you, ice, I, I feel
1: like I've put my time in skiing sheer ice. And granted, I, you know, Kristen's laughing at me. She's like, oh, you don't even know what sheer ice is because you've never skied in the East Coast. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. at any rate.
0: The ex racer in you, you're just you're done.
1: OK, fine. You're true. No, it, truth be told, it would be a hard ski to be like, hey, you are only skiing, you know, really cold, icy conditions. Do you really want this ski? You're probably right. I probably wouldn't. Grab that ski. I would probably um, grab a more directional ski. I'm not sure which one at this point, but but you're right. No, it's a very comfortable ski, and uh, it can handle a lot of a, a large variety of snowpack terrain and and you know technical terrain. and i I think for me um as ski I find skis that are nimble because in the tighter trees, um, I do like to do more of a jump turn thing to get through more technical terrain. so lightweight skis, I know you you don't like lightweight skis, but lightweight skis work for me in that um regard
0: of course, you also weigh a hundred pounds and are often skiing like one seventy twos so i'm not really sure that your lightweight like it it
1: It's all relative. It's
0: all relative. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's all relative. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: Okay. Okay. Are we ready to go one ski quiver?
1: Oh, man. I'm having commitment issues, but I'm ready.
0: Okay. One ski. What do you got?
1: I want to flip a coin here. um, But gosh, like when I get on that that Nordica Santa Ana 104 free, every time I'm on that, I'm like, this is my new one ski ski quiver. Um, that said, every time I don't have my Pandora 104, I, I kind of get I have an anxiety attack. I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> what's happening? And I do. I feel like I'm committing adultery when I don't have that ski near me. But I think, you know, it's been a, a tried and true pal for the past four years. Can I commit to the Santa Ana 104 free? Could I put like a, you know, a, a shift binding on that and have that be a legitimate Fifty-fifty ski so the arguments for that would be yeah it's a great ski um it's damp and of course if that was the case i would be going down from the 172 that i have been on to the 165 without a doubt um, but, but that way, you know, I'm not really compromising too much as far as the resort charging, but you know, the, the rhetorical question would be, Hey, is that ski going to be, I guess, nimble enough for the backcountry? Not sure. But I think that's my answer. I think Nordica Santa Ana 104 free, that ski is just a blast. So, but, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I might not sleep tonight cause I didn't answer my Pandora 104 answer as I usually do. We'll see.
0: You've made your decision, at least for right now, and live with it for a minute.
1: We'll, we'll try it out. Now, Worth what would be worth mentioning is that the Liberty Genesis does come in a 106. Um, that ski, I have yet to get on that ski. So I don't know how that would compare to the Nordica Santa Ana or the Pandora Line 104. Something to think about.
0: We did have a question come in, interestingly, by someone named Rory.
1: Oh, interesting. Good name, I must say. Good
0: name. Yep, that is Sasha and Simon's little one, Rory. This is from Rory Berger. Asked, can you discuss alpine binding choices in your quivers? It seems like they are an afterthought. An afterthought. Wow. And I'm wondering if it is a situation where they are all basically the same and, quote unquote, you can't go wrong. Now, he says, I'm trolling here a bit, but am I wrong? Because we had a big thing about the expression, you can't go wrong, which no one at Blister is ever allowed to utter. Two sub questions. It seems like there is a cult following around look pivots. Are they really that different? Also, for someone who skis with a release value around nine or 10, is there any benefit to buying a binding that goes up to 16 or 18 versus 13 ish? Again, it seems like you guys don't have a strong preference for the highest end bindings. Thanks, Rory. So, let me, let me start this. First of all, I don't want to get in... This is a big can of worms. The thing that we should do is direct you, Rory, and others who probably have some of the same questions. We posted, uh, two years ago, the Blister Alpine Ski Bindings Guide... And there is a lot of very good information in that. So I want to mostly direct you to that. But what I want to ask you, Sasha is more this question. Again, you grew up ski racing. You are a good skier. You are also a little person. And I think it's fair to say you are someone who just is not very picky about your bindings. And I guess that's somewhat interesting, right? Because a lot of ex-racers do tend to get very opinionated about binding things. That's not true of you. Fair.
1: Fair, and and um, the only caveat with that statement would be I have, and and this is totally truth be told, I have never skied on a tech binding, because the racer in me feels. It has this preconceived notion in my head that it's just I'm going to fall out. It's not stable enough. So, so that is the only caveat I'd have to that uh, statement.
0: I mean, for your height and weight, like you ski a high din, so you're often going at like a seven and a half or eight. You're not five one, by the way. You're like maybe five feet.
1: I'm totally five one.
0: You're maybe five feet, but I'm
1: I'm in like I'm like five and seven eights here there's
0: no way you are actually you've (laughs) there's you were rounding up to get to five one so okay well we'll humor you you're five one a hundred ish pounds skiing a din of seven and a half or eight so that puts you that's not probably all that common and so anyway but take it from there just tell us a little bit of just your take on the binding thing
1: I have never skied any of the other bindings um, only because I I know what works and I've always had markers. The exception being Fritchie's way back when um, on a pair of Solomon rocket or pocket rockets that lasted me for like five years. Nonetheless, I have always considered bindings outside of the marker realm um, too adult for me. I guess <laughs> I put myself in like this teenage weight class where I don't really need a heavy binding. And and quite frankly, I would prefer not to have a big beefy binding um, as long as I can get a den in the seven to eight range, which is most bindings out there. So I think I have the luxury of not, not needing to be picky about it. um, As long as it's a dedicated downhill binding, I have commitment issues when it comes to like the little tiny pin tech bindings. I I still, I'm a little bit hard to trust those.
0: Okay. Paul forward and I will be bringing up the bindings issue again, so um, you can get more binding talk in our next conversation here but yeah it is a big it is a big subject that was sasha's take on this and again, I would encourage people to take a look at that alpine ski bindings guide. We also have a alpine touring bindings guide on the site. And so those are both worth taking a look at because no, these bindings are not all the same, but Sasha's stance doesn't mean she's not willing to step into some good, quote unquote, good, different alpine bindings.
1: That's the stance.
0: Sasha, thanks. That was fun. As always, hopefully we see you up in CB here soon so we can actually ski together.
1: Yeah, let's go find those Armada Traces wherever they may be.
0: Come up to HQ. We'll dig around, find them, and uh, make some turns. Sounds great. Okay, talk to you soon.
1: Yep, talk to you probably midnight on the next uh, podcast here.
0: (laughs) Probably. (laughs) All right, take care.
1: (laughs) You too, bye.
0: Okay, next up, it is time for my conversation with Paul Forward. Here we go. Well, it is currently... Saturday night at ten thirty PM mountain time. So of course I'm recording a podcast with my good friend Paul Forward because this is when Paul can talk. He's you know, he's a busy, important man. And so he was like, You be ready at ten thirty Saturday and, and, and we'll go. So uh, you know, hi Paul.
2: Hi Jonathan, I am sorry. I have a chi- as as you know, I have an 18-month old child who has bedtime and bath time obligations and other things we have to do here, so that's why we're talking late. I apologize.
0: You know, I tur- I turned down like 5 dates tonight cuz I was like, "Sorry, sorry ladies. I got a
2: date with Paul forward at 10:30. I, th- I thought you were working out and getting swell tonight <laughs> while you were waiting for me to finish up bedtime.
0: Well, we talked the other day and you said Saturday was your window. So I, I kinda knew this was I kinda knew this was coming. Plus, as I admitted to you, I I've eaten four crack waffles in like the last <laughs> twenty-four hours. And This isn't good. Um, I did ski today, but listeners, especially of our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, will know about the crack waffles from Bone Shaker in Buena Vista. I've had way too many of them. I can't stop. I literally can't stop eating them. And so, yeah, I did ski today, but then I was like, I need to get another workout in here. And plus, I what else am I going to do? I got to talk to Paul at 1030 at night. So,
2: <laughs> Well, I, I also want to apologize to whatever lucky young ladies would have had your company tonight <laughs> instead, because I'm sure that would have been wonderful for them. Um, so. Maybe.
0: Anyway, um, we've got some things to cover, kind of a few things to cover. And so we're just going to get into it. Big news. You know, we're here to talk about ski quivers and little Paul Forward Jr., <laughs> a.k.a. Ren, Wren just got his first skis, and you told me he actually already has his own quiver.
2: He, he does, he has a little mini quiver. Um, Nordica Team Juniors in 70, they're, uh, they say they have energy frame technology in them. And, uh, and then just today, our good friend, Charlie Renfro, um, Friend of Blister and uh, photographer uh, dropped off from, from his kids who don't need them anymore a pair of Mad Shoe snow pups, which uh, are, we'll call them Ren's, Ren's Nordic and Touring Setup. And those actually go on his regular snow boots. So, uh, so today he, he had a kind of a triple sport day. We did some alpine skiing in the driveway, and then we did some Nordic snow pup skiing around the, the yard, and then he did some sledding to kind of top it off. Wow. So wait a sec. How old is Ren now? He's eighteen months.
0: Eighteen months already has a ski quiver.
2: <laughs> this <laughs> He's might pretty be proud of it.
0: This oh. might be the the like youngest anyone's ever had a ski quiver.
2: Maybe. I doubt it. Oh, I bet there's kids out there that have more skis than that. But uh, but to his great chagrin, he doesn't have poles. And probably like most kids his age, he is obsessed with anything that resembles a stick or a pole. And to the point where when I go ski touring with him in the backpack, the only thing that really makes him unhappy is that I'm holding the poles and he's stuck in the backpack, not holding poles. So, but he's not ready for poles yet for skiing. Interesting.
0: This is also, I mean, you must be an incredibly proud father right now because one, your 18 month old already has a ski quiver. <laughs> and two, he's, <laughs> I know that you are not a fan of the no pole stees. <laughs> <laughs> so so ren is
2: really oh man don't really, me into that corner uh. i mean that's just a fact i mean we've had too many trips let's not, together let's not go there uh, let's not let's not go there i think there's there's i don't want to i don't want to like uh alienate anyone i think there's a place for, for no pole skiing
0: okay you hate no pole stees but anyway <laughs> um another thing that i have been dying to talk to you about since you and i spoke i don't know a few days ago we got to talk about coffee paul because i'm about to out you i am about to out you <laughs> um you have you have created you know there's kind of this mythology of paul
2: forward that has there's there not
0: there is <laughs> but, well i mean again anyway. <laughs> again luke luke Kappa. not totally sure you're a real person and, you know, people who've listened to our other podcasts, it's like, who is a doctor and also a lead heli guide? That's not really a thing. And so I th- I, th- I think that our, our blister audience kind of has this conception of you. And um, then earlier this week, <laughs> I asked you, what coffee maker you own and use? And because... As listeners of Gear 30 know, I've kind of been going down this coffee maker rabbit hole and and I still am going in on this. And I, per Cody Townsend's recommendation, I have purchased a Mocha Master. I have been using that, you know, compiling my thoughts and the rest. But I asked you, Paul, how in, you know, Hardy AK, you make your coffee and you told me
2: that you are using, what was it again? (laughs) It's a Jura. (laughs) i honestly don't understand why it's funny you're not you're not fully disclosing my my coffee connection though the the reality is is that i'm 41 years old and i started drinking coffee a year and a half ago roughly and uh, i still i have maybe like when i'm home three or four cups a week when i'm away zero and so i wouldn't say i'm an avid coffee drinker i'm certainly not a connoisseur but my wife loves coffee, and when we had our kiddo, she said that um, she wanted a fancy coffee maker, especially one like the Jura that was low effort, and so um, that was kind of uh, a gift to her following, like, following Ren, so that she could actually have coffee, which, because like a Jura, you can easily make a nice cup of coffee, I'm told. Uh, it's a nice cup of coffee, because I wouldn't have nothing to compare it to. But you can make a nice cup of coffee with with one hand, basically, while you're holding a baby. So um, that's true, and I'm told it's really good. And I, I, I have, I mean, for it's the only coffee I've had. I've, I, I don't have much to compare it to.
0: I just, you know, there's this conception I think that some of us think, oh, in Alaska, they just like I don't know, kill a bear and <laughs> then like rip out its stomach and then Uh, they just the
2: the alaskan coffee bear yes
0: right the alaskan coffee bear but no it turns out and you're not the only one this is like a thing happening at least in girdwood people like their jura coffee makers and i'm not gonna say how much they cost but y'all just look this up if you aren't familiar (laughs) and this is amazing to me and i find it hilarious now i will say I, I am experienced in the ways of the Jura because some years ago, I dated a girl whose father owned one. And I maybe mentioned this, but I think we ended up dating probably longer than we should have because I was like, I don't really want to lose access to the Jura. So like, I get it. But I also think that this is funny that uh, <laughs> that you are like rolling fancy on your drip coffee
2: it does seem pretty pretty popular in girdwood we we learned about him from from charlie renfro who we've already mentioned here tonight and uh
0: renfro's on the jura bandwagon because that would be the third person
2: and he might honestly be the the oj the original jura (laughs) owner of girdwood i mean he may have influenced others like charlie charlie and his wife brett like they're 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 on it man they they know about cool stuff okay so they may have been the influencers that got the rest of us to do it it's possible
0: because I, when I first started talking about coffee on Gear 30, I lo- immediately got texted by Eric Helmbrecht, uh, the owner of Powderhound, yeah. who started going off on the Juras. Yep. And so, I, this is just amazing to me. I couldn't be more delighted about the Jura-Girdwood connection. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we actually know that's where we got at skis yesterday was at Powderhound. At Powderhound. And, uh, and you might know this, but Eric and his wife, Lindsay, have a little one too now. So they also need one-handed copy-making capability. They have a baby. Oh, it's because
0: everybody only has one free hand in Girdwood. That's yeah, what's happening.
2: Charlie's got two kids. So, um, so yeah, maybe it's maybe it's like a parent thing. Parents go for the Jura.
0: Huh. Okay. Anyway, enough about that for now. Though I am looking forward to having Eric come on Gear 30 because he has a great sort of defense. I mean, you the one-hand, one free arm... Defense. That's the first I've heard of that, and I and I, I buy that. Eric has a different oh, sort of defense of the Jura, and so we'll we'll let him talk about that. But yeah, yeah. now but now this means that I'm gonna have to get one or like steal one because these things are you know these are these are this is a little posh man. <laughs> but I, it's got to be in my mix of different coffee makers I'm testing that the people need to know. <laughs> okay, ski quivers. So Ren, we've learned, already has a two-ski quiver going, so he is well on his way to to quiverdom here. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, I guess before we get into the quiver thing in particular with you, this question had come up on the website, and I saw that you had, in fact, responded to it, even though the question was addressed to me and Luke. But you seem like an appropriate person to ask this. Someone had asked, like, look, take the specific location out of, like, remove that from the equation. Anyway, I just wanted to hang for a second on that, the the pow ski, um, given that you, turns out you do ski a lot of powder. Talk a little bit about your answer to that question.
2: Okay. Well, it was a little bit theoretical, right? So, I, I, I kind of, if I had perfect deep powder all the time with no base palpable ever, we're talking... You know the kind of experience you get on the on the real good days, like in Japan, for example, or on a cat skiing day. Um, I would ski the DPS spoon because it's crazy. It just it slides across the fall line. You're always on top, and you can just go so fast, or or slow down really really quickly. But that ski is still a pretty special feeling to ride in those kind of conditions. But it is the opposite of versatile. And as soon as things get at all, you know, as soon as you start to feel the base, you start to wish you're on a different ski. Um, so then there's the Lotus 138, which is much better in those, you can feel the bath a little bit, or the snow has got some effect to it, or you're cutting tracks. Um, uh, and I would, wouldn't hesitate to take that, to be happy skiing, you know, deep Japan style pow on that all the time. Um, I have gotten, and I've talked about this before and I've written about this before, but I've gotten away to a large degree from those types of skis for my guiding work just because in, in alaska and the you know even if there's like perfect powder on the face that you're skiing you always need to be ready for or even if half the runs that day are perfect pow top to bottom you need to be ready for to handle the variable and handle the weirdness and uh especially with a, with a big backpack on which you know isn't going to be an issue for everybody all the time but um, those skis, you start to be able to get bucked a little more easily in certain conditions with those. And so I lean more toward traditional shaped skis. But honestly, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a surfer, but I spend a lot of time, in, you know, in water riding kayaks and that kind of stuff and surf kayaks and things. And I really feel like in pure, pure powder is more of a liquid environment. And as long as you have, like, the tool that keeps you floating enough that your tips are up and you're, like, planing, just like, you know, like you would on a surfboard, I think it's kind of like surfboards, where like where everybody kind of has their the shapes that work for them, and, and different you know steepnesses and types of terrain. I think that's the cool thing about powder skis. That's why I lament the lack of you know con- the uh, the lack of like uh, continued creativity from ski manufacturers in creating cool powder skis. And I understand why they don't, because there's not much market for it. But it was really cool for a while there when so many ski companies were experimenting with cool powder shapes, because I think it is kind of like surf tools in a way you know and, and uh, so I think it really depends on what you're used to like if you put somebody who had never skied on a reverse side cut ski before they're going to feel a little weird at first they're the most most you know most experienced skiers will pick it up real fast and even people who haven't skied a lot will still come around on it but I think any like you know 120 underfoot plus ski of an appropriate length is going to be just just awesome and some are definitely better than others and we could talk about I could talk about this all day long about the the, the nuance of the different skis but those would be, those skis are real special to me. And I think DPS, like that, that was the, the heart of DPS for a long time. And I think those skis are, they, they're really well done skis. Um, so I, I did, I did mention the Liberty Genome just because it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of ridiculous and there's other skis that are like it, but um, it really fun. It's fat. And if you're used to more traditional side cut it's It's probably a little easier to transition especially when you're in, if you're encountering firm snow anywhere in your run it's probably a little easier a little more intuitive to ski that ski than a re- reverse side cut ski
0: I think the question and this is where we always i think I said on the last gear thirty i i my brain starts to short circuit on this because <clears throat> it's it's impossible to just remove all context and just say like well, what's the best POW ski, regardless of any, without you telling me, like, where are we going? Like, yeah. where are we going to use this? Like, it yep. context still really matters, um, even when we're talking about quote unquote powder. So, yeah. Yep, totally. Okay, so this question came in on the site. If hypothetically you didn't review for Blister and just had to go buy every ski you know, on your own, how many skis would you include in your quiver?
2: Okay. Um, I mean, I think we've all been that, been that way for probably a lot of our ski careers. Um, and, uh, for me, I would say I would do everything I could in the first season to have at least two pairs of skis. And, and the caveat there being you probably pull it off with just one pair I haven't skied the shift yet. I hear great things from you and everyone else. I would still prefer to have a dedicated, you know, mechanized ski like health, you know, like a lift ski, and a, and a dedicated touring ski personally. Um, and so I would start with two, and then the next season I would probably buy another pair of two. <laughs> and then, you know, the next season I'd get a I'd get a skinny a skinny carver and a dedicated pow ski, and then the season after that I would get I would add a super light early fall and late spring touring ski and <laughs> so I think I would I think I would still accumulate you know more than I mean I think legitimately having more than five pairs of skis you probably cover everything with that like I don't think we, any of us felt with our five ski quiver super um super crunched to, to like be able to cover all the things we do in a season so I think that's plenty of skis <laughs>
0: It's interesting. I mean, I could absolutely see having seven or eight skis because there's seven or eight skis out there that I really like. Right. But but a couple of things. I mean, when we're going through and answering these questions of like five skis to four skis like I I guess given what I've just said, like I could definitely, you know, I could own seven or eight skis and be happy to break them out for different reasons when we go through this exercise of going through five skis to four skis to three skis etc that is the actual answer to the question right but yeah i think having the the seven or eight is kind of fun I, i think that the biggest thing i think when the question went to like before we started doing blister the problem is you wouldn't have no idea what you were actually getting in a ski. Yeah. So it felt like just ordering random bottles of wine. And you're like, I actually have no idea if I'm going to get along with this one or not. And so I used to go through a good amount of skis in large part because it was like, I'd get it. And then it's like, wait a minute, that is, has nothing like, that's not close to how the manufacturer, this ski is not what the manufacturer said it was. And so then I would like sell that off or like give it to a friend or try to cobble together and and find the stuff that, that I just clicked with the most. And so I think I used to cycle through a lot of skis, but it was in large part because no one was really giving me a good, clear sense of, what I was really going to click with, anyway, if that makes any sense.
2: No, that that makes sense, and, and I think it also goes back to what I said earlier about you know why why you want I mean why you want to have more pair more than one pair of skis. On one side, there's this like really pragmatic aspect where it's you know you really want to have a pair of like inbound skis that do what you want to do inbounds. For, for everybody, that's a little bit different, right? But yeah, but but for most people, what they want their inbound skis and boots and bindings to do is very different than what they want their backcountry skis and boots and bindings to do. And and granted, a lot of people aren't doing both, aren't both skiing inbounds and backcountry. But for those of us who are, you got to start there. And so, so there's this pragmatic aspect where like you really, you know, we're fortunate to live in an era when like you can have tools that are really good at the job. On the other side, I mean, when I met you in, uh, in Las Lanias before I yeah. had any affiliation with blister at all. I bet I still had, and I didn't, it's not like I had a lot of money or anything. I was just always looking for used stuff and deals. Yeah. I bet I still owned like four pairs of reverse side cut skis, y- you know, just, just that. And I probably had two other pairs of, of skis that were over 120 underfoot. And it wasn't because I needed six pairs of powder skis or five pairs of powder skis. It was because I loved the, I mean, I'm always kind of a nerd or a tinkerer when it comes to like playing with gear. But I just loved the different sensations, the different experiences that I would get from being out touring or riding the hill on different stuff. And, uh, and you know, there was a time, probably about the time that you and I met, uh, where there, was, there were quite a few pairs of skis that are out there that were just, frankly, not, not good. They, the ski industry was going through some weird growing pains. Um, yeah, but I think these days, like, you know, you and I talk about this all the time we don't talk about like, we rarely talk about good skis and bad skis. We talk about who a particular pair of skis is best for and what, you know, what, what a particular pair of skis has going for it. And so it's just fun. I mean, if you have the ability to demo or, or borrow or try other pairs of skis, it's really fun. And It's really fun to try them. And so the quiver and once, I mean, what's, what's the point of skiing anyway, going skiing is about having fun, right? I'm yeah. getting a little philosophical here, but for some of us, part of that fun is tinkering and trying and experiencing new things because we get get on new pairs of skis, right? And so from that perspective, your quiver is, like, infinite, you know? Right. <laughs> because, because you get to experience and learn from d- different, you know, I would never have a pair of World Cup slalom skis if I had to have three pairs of skis. But I have a right. pair, and they're awesome, and I take them out a surprising them out.
0: I think that's the thing is, like, there is this again, I guess to use the wine analogy or there's all kinds of other analogies we could use. It's like there is this process of exploration of you either find that ski and you're like, wow, I really get along with this. Or it's like, wow, this is not maybe the ski that I naturally click with the most, but it is opening up a different way of skiing that at that point in time, you might be like, I'm kind of into this right now. And so I think that's kind of a a back and forth process. Now we're really far afield from the original question, (laughs) but, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. The answer's five. (laughs) The answer's five. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I've, I've said it too. I mean, like there definitely are those times, like I know what skis I like. And so, yeah, the answer probably is five or seven or eight, but if it was two or three, I would go just get to ski the stuff that I know I like the most <laughs> as opposed to spending a lot of days on the mountain like yelling and complaining because I think a ski is dumb or it's just not the right the best ski for me personally so anyway okay listen we got to get to your quiver why don't you walk us through your three two and one ski quiver
2: um let's start with three what I thought for my three ski quiver is ski number one is the dps alchemist lotus 124 in a 191 and i have i feel like i don't need to talk about this ski too much because i've talked about it so much (laughs) in writing and on podcasts it's just an awesome ski it really works well for me and it works seems to work pretty well for everybody i know who tried it it's predictable it floats well it's stable it's balanced it's it's just a really fun ski and it's a great for me i need uh because of my work i need a i need a dedicated powder ski but one that's ideally like fairly versatile and that's that's the one i'd pick as of now
0: wow Uh, is
2: that the ski you think you'll guide on the most dude this will be the fourth year that that's the ski i spend the most days on wow maybe in a winter um maybe not even just heli skiing but, but i mean these days i probably probably heli ski more days than i lift ski unfortunately or or fortunately depending how you look at it (laughs) and uh and that's the ski i grab unless i need to be on something else unless i'm trying something else do you know i've still never skied that ski i didn't know that um you know and the the thing about i I always i always have this like little reservation about so emphatically recommending it because and, and i could be totally wrong about this but it seems like there was a fair amount of variation in the Lotus 124 especially in the first couple of years it was on the market hmm. uh, between different lengths it seems like the shape was a little different we we kind of we actually wrote about that and uh and I don't I think the alchemist is the alchemist construction but uh so I don't know if they're all exactly the same or the pair I have is just just awesome or it's just awesome for me but uh those skis are cool for sure that said i they wouldn't be a ski if i was if I if I wasn't heli guiding, I wouldn't it wouldn't be like my inbound pal ski of choice, probably. I would probably I would probably actually I would I would tick the the d I would actually stick with the DPS, which is I know it's weird that I would have two skis from the same company, but the koala is like so different than any other DPS ski, but I freaking love that ski, the koala one nineteen in the one eighty nine.
0: Interesting. So talk just a second given that I have yet to ski the 124, talk about the Koala 119 versus the Lotus 124.
2: Uh the Koala is definitely more more able to take those like kind of inbound punches. That's the that's the biggest difference. When yep. you're skiing through tracks or through crud or cross groomers or whatever bumps or whatever people have been skiing a bunch, it um it it kind of it just mows that stuff down better than most skis in that width that I've used. Yep. Uh, it still floats remarkably well. You know, I'd say in the in the chargeability category for me in my style of skiing, it's it's up there, or maybe even better than the um, than the old pair of Bibby or Blister Pros I have. And I know that's a strong statement, um, but it but in pow, it's it's remarkably better. It floats much yeah. better, and so. Um, uh, it's it, you know I wouldn't say I hate to, I hate to use the word playful because I, I don't think anything about my skiing anybody would watch me ski and say I'm like a, play, <laughs> a playful skier so it's probably disingenuous but it, it makes me feel like I can like make more little like slashes and you know my little attempts at doing little little jibs and stuff um, which are poor and awkward and old man like. But I'm sure that it makes me feel like I can do that stuff more. But it is a burly. It's a fun, chargy ski. I I freaking love it. I think it's awesome. Number two, vocal Mantra 102. I I think I would, I'm on the fence a little between the 184 and the 191, but I think I would go 184 just because usually when I want to be on that ski, I am, uh, you know, skiing fairly chopped up, uh, firm conditions. And in that which case, the length doesn't help me that much. But that ski is really fun. I I would like to have a little wider ski for this number two slot. If the if the new uh, Katana 108 is base, is a six millimeter wider Mantra 102, I'm sold. You know, sign me up. I'll take that. Sounds great. I've been so impressed with that Mantra 102, and, and I really like the M5. I think the M5 is an awesome ski. But I I didn't feel like I really lost much going up to the 102 as far as like hard snow performance.
0: What length did you ski the M5 in? The Mantra M5? 84 and 91 about equally. And what were your... Because I've only skied that M5 in a 177. And then I've, I've, I've only skied the Mantra 102 in a 184. And I have no interest in jumping up to a 191 Mantra 102. And to be honest, I'm not that tempted to bump up from the m5 like that's going to be a lower tide ski that's how i'm going to be using it with a lot of monster moguls around sure and so like i don't i mean i haven't skied the 184 but i'm not while i really like the 184 mantra 102 like weirdly or not weirdly i'm not that i'm not like i'm dying to get on a 184 m5
2: interesting you know i for I haven't tried the shorter versions of either ski. I, I, sh- I we have the 177s, I think, of both in the hangar. I could try them, but uh, I have never once with either the 102 or the M5 thought, "Oh, I wish this was a little bit shorter." Uh, only occasionally on those days when it was, you know, there was more snow than I thought there was going to be, I maybe occasionally wished I'd grab the longer ones. But I mean, the, the the M5 191 is it's like a missile. It's pretty darn fun. I mean, you go, it, it's it's a fast ski, but it's not. It's not, a, um, it's not a fast ski that, like, is uncontrollable. Um, I, in some ways, in that length, I almost liked the previous long, low-rise Mantra better, but that was definitely more of a, like, off-piece ski, you know? And that ski was, that, I skied the, the prior-to-M5 Mantra, the reverse camber one, I skied that in the 191 a lot and thought it was really fun at Alyeska. Thought that was a cool ski. Um, and then I also have a pair of, like, really old Mantras, um, in the 191, and they, they, it's funny they feel kind of light and nimble now. But the, um, I don't know if they've changed the mount point or if it just feels like they're far back, looking down. But it, they also feel a little, little old school in that regard. When I take those out occasionally, but but the 102 is awesome. I, I would going back to the quiver thing. I think in a perfect world I would have a 105 to 110 underfoot, like as my only kind of dedicated inbound ski. But I just haven't skied any of the new batch of of inbounds skis in that category, so I just I just don't have a good frame of reference for that. All right, what's your third ski? And this one I feel like a little this this is a pretty weak like and I don't feel super strongly about this. But for my third ski, I basically want a dedicated lightweight touring ski, and I most of the season whether it's November or May, I'm mostly. Still hoping to find powder somewhere I find pockets of powder high and north late in the year, and it's mostly you're you know you're seeking powder early in the season, and then all winter long I'm obviously just chasing soft snow. So uh, a 110 underfoot plus ski is what I'm kind of looking for. So far, the best kind of weight to performance ratio that I have come across for my personal skiing is that Black Diamond Helio 116. Huh. It's crazy light for what it is. It doesn't feel light and pingy. I mean, it does if you take it, if you ski it in bounds, but it doesn't feel that way when you hit the occasional, you know, crud or tracked up, you know, out track to the car. It feels, it's reasonable. It floats well, it slides around well. It's just, it's just kind of a nice, kind of a Goldilocks backcountry ski for me. Um, sometimes, and, you know, on, the, on really big days, like big terrain, I feel kind of undergunned. I wish I had a longer, wider ski um, for sure. And some days I, and I, I, cause I have access to other skis on those kind of days. I don't take them. I take, I take bigger, longer skis for touring. Um, but, um, and then on, you know, in the spring, obviously it wouldn't be my first choice, but you know, if it's corn, it's fun slashing around corn on a 115 hundred foot ski. It's super fun. So, um, so that would be it as of now. Now the caveat here is that they changed that ski for 2021. They have the Helio 115, which um, I'm going to see for the first time tomorrow. Charlie and I are going to try to sneak out for an early morning dad tour tomorrow, and uh, he he has a pair of the new 115s, Charlie Renfro does, that he bought, and I'm going to bring my 116s, and we have vastly different boot sizes, so we're not going to be able to compare, but um, but I am really curious how different they are in appearance. On, on the website, they look very similar, but... Um, you know it, maybe it's an improvement in some way but um i i thought that the helio series were pretty good skis and they're dramatically better than any touring ski that black diamond did before the helio series in my opinion in every way yeah in every way
0: <laughs> let's talk bindings for a second okay. um what so what binding would you put on your helio 116 or
2: 15 uh, boy that's a tough one like i said I feel like all the bindings I currently have are kind of a compromise, one side or the other. Um, I, right now I have Xenix on them, which I've been pretty unimpressed with. Um, I, uh, on my Helios 105s, I have um, the Dinafit um, Superlight 2.0 that goes, to the 12DIN one, or the 12 release value one. And for what those are, I think they're pretty awesome bindings. They're super light, and uh, I've never, never pre-released from them. So maybe that, but I, I've been reading uh, Luke's and yours and Sam's reviews on the the 300 gram binding category, mm-hmm. and I would love to try that ATK. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to try uh, Zed. Um, yeah. I have two pairs of Marker Alpinists, and I think they're good, but uh, there's some things about them I don't like as much. So I'm still not. I still haven't found my perfect touring binding, but it's probably one of those 300 gram bindings. Uh, with the wild card being the new DinaFit Light 150, which just looks freaking beautiful. But um, but I haven't ever seen a pair in person. What don't you like about the Alpinist? My main quip with the Alpinist is, and I'm a mellow skinner, like I'm a super mellow skin track guy, but it, it needs a higher heel riser and the heel risers need to be a little easier to clip to off and on. But uh, it skis great. I think the Alpinist skis great. I like how it skis a lot.
0: Okay. Okay. Um... You've had a pretty specific opinion about your alpine bindings previously. So when we're talking about, you know, for your DPS Lotus 124 and for your vocal mantra 102, are you going to be pretty particular about what alpine binding you want to put on those two skis?
2: Man, I have I've had a bit of a change of mind on the, on the alpine bindings. I have always said that I really liked the Solomon STH two STH two. Yep, and a big part of the reason why I liked them was that in like deep snow and you know boots with lots of snow on them and ice on them, they're just real. They just give you that real satisfying clunk. And they're easy on and off, and they're fast, and I can, you know, get in them in sketchy places, which I, you know, sometimes I have to get my skis on in weird spots. But I have had some some issues with I've I have probably four pairs of those in in rotation, and uh, almost all of them now have a little like weird toe height play, like uh, a weird thing where the heel uh, the heel piece will has like a little give to, it, or it gives a little like really nerve-wracking like click upward when I pull push forward too much and I've talked to a couple ski techs about it and most of them have said yeah kind of wear and tear and we, we see that and I don't want to throw Solomon under the bus here and it'd be fun to talk to someone th- there who um who could a- answer these questions but I have several pairs of those bindings that have I've really lost confidence in and uh, I spend a fair a, bit, a fair bit of time skiing in places where like I really want to have confidence so my skis aren't going to come off. And so um, I have been gravitating more toward the Marker Jester. Look at you. Yep. I, Look I really at have. you. I I have come around on those things. They are, man, when you get a Jester on properly, it is, it is on. And I don't know if the jesters has, I don't know. It feels like it takes a lot more at a certain release value to kick a pair off. But I have no reason to believe that I'm any more likely to get hurt in a pair of Jesters than an STH. And so... I'll take the i'll I'll take the retentiveness. I think over the the fact that some of my STHS are giving, giving me the willies a little bit.
0: <laughs> wow, you just blew my mind. Yeah, this is yeah. almost as shocking as the Girdwood love of the Jura. <laughs> <laughs> the Jura coffee makers. Is Paul
2: has become a jester convert? Uh, right. well, I mean, and to, to even like put a finer point on it. If I had all the remaining worlds like Gen One Jester demos available to me, I would have those on every pair of alpine skis because I love I love tweaking the mount point, and especially with all the reviews we do, because as you and I both know, it you can really appreciate some significant changes in the character of a ski, and we also both know that ski manufacturers don't always put the the best optimal boot center mount point for most gears on their top sheet <laughs> yeah and and yeah. you know that's part of what blister does right is we figure that stuff out i'd love being able to play with the mount point and uh those or demos the original ones the ones we traveled all over the place with yeah those things are freaking awesome
0: let's keep it moving that's very interesting and we should we'll um it would be fun to to kind of go down the Alpine Bindings rabbit hole, bring in some manufacturers again and kind of talk through this and let some different companies make their cases. And um, yeah, now that you're less zealous, perhaps, than you once were, maybe you're a little more <laughs> open, open-minded open these days. So we'll see about that. For now, let's keep it moving to Ski Quiver. What are you doing?
2: Uh, two skis. So I... Um... I, I gotta dry, If I'm going to have one pair of skis for all my like, inbound and for work ski, I'm going to drop the 124, uh, and I'm going to go to the Koala 119. And we already talked about it. That ski is – I love that ski. I think it's awesome. It, it does everything, everything that I would ever want from a ski in that waist width. And I could ski that ski from opening day to close at Alieska and have a smile on my face for sure.
0: Now, we should say, just in case – I mean, it is a big, heavy, burly ski – and people just need to be aware of that, right? Oh
2: yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's the ski that everybody should have. Is their ski in yeah. their two ski quiver? Um, you know, I'm a pretty big guy. I ski in a maritime snowpack. Yeah. Um. And uh, and I also need it to work as a work ski for me. Um. So it needs to hold me with my twenty-five to thirty-pound backpack. Um. So you know that puts a lot. And I'm skiing with you know big heavy boots and big heavy bindings. Like it is a. It's it's not a um, you know. I'm trying to think of a good example. It's not a Nordica Enforcer 115. That like mo- you, it's like a, that, that ski is like really fun for everybody, but it's also yep. forgiving enough that, it, that anybody can ski on it. This is, it's, this is a different animal uh, in a lot of ways. But it's, for what it is, it is, I'm so impressed with that ski. And I, I was determined to not like it when I got them because <laughs> it looked like it has so much taper in the tips. I was like, oh, this is going to be... And, and, I, and I know that the 112 and, and the 115 have their place and they have the things that they do well, but they were never skis that I would want as my personal everyday ski. And it just kind of looked like maybe that's what was going on here. And then I got on them and I was like, holy crap, This still like no DPS ski I've ever skied like yep. times 10.
0: Yep. That's cool. Okay. So Koala 119 and that's your everyday inbounds at Alyeska ski. Well, I
2: mean, I'm, I'm trying to like be the, like it would be a one it would be like a 110 ski if I wasn't needing to go ski guiding on the same pair of skis and Got so it. I kind of threw I mean I figured I'd play the exercise out so I, I want a ski that I can take cat skiing and heli skiing a lot and I, I can't do that I, I can but I wouldn't I would rather compromise by having a big ski at Alieska than having a skinny ski for work fair not strong enough to ski. skinny ski ski all day from the helicopter? I need. <laughs> <laughs> I need the fat Yeah, I, I don't train enough. I'm not in good enough shape for that. <laughs> What's your second ski? I uh, just, I just stuck with the Helios 116. Okay. It's, it's again, it's kind of my Goldilocks touring ski, Alaska touring ski for now.
0: I mean, we got to get you on a shift, or even possibly the Marker Duke PT. You know, because when we start getting down to these two ski and one ski quiver, that's where obviously it's always trade-offs in these conversations, but I mean, we are like, I, I am comfortable skiing a shift inbounds. I am comfortable skiing a marker Duke PT inbounds. And so when you get down to like, and then there were almost none, that's where I wonder if for you, you would be like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my Helio 116 or, or you're not going to use that ski as your inbounds POW ski. I don't think, but what it would do for your world to have, if, if you had a hybrid binding. So,
2: Oh yeah. That's interesting. You know, in that case, boy, uh, yeah, I might pick something different. I might pick them a lighter ski for, for all my off piece stuff. And then a skinnier, heavier ski for all my on piece stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I hadn't, I just, I just don't have any first hand experience with those, but, uh, but yeah. But
0: I mean, a shift and a, and a Duke PT, you might not be real psyched on those when you're, if, if you're going off to do one of your longer spring tours, which maybe now that Ren's around, maybe those are, <laughs> will be fewer and further
2: between, but, um, yeah, I kind of, yeah, you're, that's a good point. I mean, I've, yeah.
0: Let's move on. Drum okay. roll, please. One ski quiver.
2: What are you doing? Oh, uh, same as last year. I, uh, I went with the moment wildcat tour. The one eighteen
0: got it the
2: tour yeah Yeah. i I think the tour i mean the, I, I could go either way, but the, i I don't think that there's a there's as enough there's as much sacrifice between the tour and the non tour version for the inbounds as there is for just dragging it up the hill the extra what i think what is it two hundred grams or so that you're dealing with. On a one ninety
0: I'm waiting till we actually receive the latest iteration in h q before I start trying to guess what yeah. these weights are gonna be so um
2: yeah well, and 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 again, like the caveat um here is that um my my like wildcat slash bibby slash blister pro of choice is the the original blister pro, which is heavier. For, for objectively yeah. heavier than any of yeah. the current versions of that ski. Yeah. Uh, um, and you would know better than I would how, how truly different it is, but that's those, that that's what I'm comparing to the wildcat tour. Um, yep. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, by default it would have to be a, a, a binding like the shift or something like that. So I could do everything with them.
0: Uh, that actually kind of makes sense. And I, I think if I had to, if I had to f- f- finish out your quiver for you, a wildcat tour with, with a shift is probably what I would end up picking for you, and yeah, and I should say, I mean, I've been talking quite a bit with Luke Jacobson, and he you know, we're supposed to be getting this latest iteration um of the wildcat shortly and in in fairness to Luke and moment, I mean, Covid messed them up, you know, and so sure. we were supposed to get these skis last spring, and so. I think Luke by now knows better than to say something wildly different than is the case (laughs) since we are, we will turn around and be like, well, this is what this is or, and this is what this is not. But, (laughs) and he's really like, dude, I think you are going to be very, very pleased with this latest iteration of the ski. There is some weight back into the ski. And uh, so, you know, we'll see and we will report. Um, but again, yep. I'm talking about the wild, not the wildcat tour here. I'm, I'm talking specifically about the wildcat. So, yep, yep. Um, gotcha. So, we'll see. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think both of us, you, you and I are, uh, will be ha- happy to have, uh, the non diet wildcat slash blister pro back in our lives. Um,
2: yep. That's a great ski. Until, until the koala came into my life, that was my, you know, if I wasn't testing skis, there wasn't something I needed to be on. If it, you know, snowed, you know, more than three or four inches at Alaska, that was the ski I wanted to be on every single time was the, the Bibi Pro, or the Blister Pro. And the, that, that ski for me now is the Koala 119. If I don't have any other obligations to ski anything else. But, um, but yeah, that, that's a, it's a cool ski.
0: We did it. That's it. Our 15 to 20 minute conversation is coming in at about an hour 15. So that's about right. Oh
2: my gosh, that's about right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, so yeah, first of all, uh, please apologize to your lovely wife, Erin, for me for taking you away from her on uh, on a Saturday night. So she probably went up from that to Put a bunch of really nice beans in your guys' amazing coffee maker. It's quite, wow. the di- quite the existence y'all are leading out
2: there. <laughs> We're really roughing it. <laughs> this, is, this is how our primitive ancestors lived in the Pleistocene. Like, they ate venison and Jura coffee.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Perfect. Well, hey, man, thanks again, and uh, we'll be in touch real soon. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, man. Okay, it is time for our What We're Celebrating This Week segment. And this week, I am celebrating whales. That's right, whales. And here's why. Because I am going to imagine you can get a little bit like me, where you get real head down and focused on probably a pretty thick work day. And this is what's happening to me a few days ago and then I actually got on my phone and just happened to scroll across on social media and saw this spectacular video of a giant whale swimming alongside a boat. And I kind of stopped and thought, this thing like actually exists in the world. And it was incredible. And it was, it just broke me out of my very focused narrow little world of what was going on right in front of me and reminded me that the world actually is a truly magical place with absolutely fantastical creatures like giant, giant whales that are real. And so tonight, whenever I finally get out of this workday, I'm going to be raising a glass of, I think tonight I'm going to go with the 12-year-old Whistlepig Rye Whiskey And I'm going to raise a glass to these giants of the sea that seem like total make-believe. And I want to give a spoiler alert here. I might soon be raising my glass to the octopus because there's a new documentary out on them that I want to watch. And man, the octopus is every bit as mind-blowing as massive giant whales. So you know what? Cheers to both whales and octopuses because these are real-life fantasy creatures that actually exist and remind us that the world is a wild, beautiful, mind-blowing place. So there, there you go. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Gear 30. If you are enjoying these conversations, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30 and leave us that five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about the show, you know? I also want to say thanks to Sasha and Paul for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening until next time, please take good care of yourself, by which I mean, go to blister.getspot.com to get yourself some injury insurance so that you're not even more screwed when you crash this season. Not if, but when you crash this season. And so that's all I've got. Get yourself insurance and we will talk to you real soon.